Welcome, Internet Web Peoples, to Your Dog's Best Life. Um, I'm Emily. I'm here with Leanne. And we have a fun topic to um, jump into this week. But uh, Leanne had some tragic news that she had to share with us all first. Yes, it's, this is a big deal. So in Arizona, if it, no one, if you're not from Arizona, you can't understand this. But if you're from Arizona, you're gonna, you're gonna understand the, the level of the tragedy. So Arizona gets Southern Arizona gets about 14 inches of rain a year, and most of them come wait, in wait, winter, wait. but a lot of them. Let's back up. What? Let's emphasize that 14 inches of rain a year. A year. Yeah. I'm, I'm from the East Coast. 14 inches of rain usually <laughs> happens in a week during spring yeah. and fall. So yeah, no, 14 inches <laughs> a year. A year. Okay. Yes. And so we get like two thirds of it, I think in the winter, half in the winter and half in the fall, depending how far east and south you are. So I'm pretty far southeast. And so for us, the big thing is the summer monsoon. What happens is May, well, April, May and June are hideous hell months where walking outside is like walking into an oven with a blow dryer on. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, with the sun. Yeah. So you've got yeah. the oven, the sun, and the blow dryer, and it's not fun at all. And so all you do every day of those months is you talk about July, when the rains will start. And the rains will bring in clouds, <laughs> and they'll bring in water, and they'll bring in rain. I know it's crazy. And clouds, dimension clouds, and more clouds Lower and more temperatures. rain. And more <laughs> and temperatures. temperatures. Yeah, it won't be 100 every, 110 every day. It might be only 100 some days. It's crazy. Our monsoon this year, where it, so it starts generally around the 1st of July and ends uh, about the first week, first week of September, have sucked shit. Okay. Um, forget they, sucked. They just evaporated. It, it's it been a hundred. It's been 110 for like the last two weeks. That's not an exaggeration. It is no, it's not. It's been over 110. Yeah, it's, it's practically miserable. impossible to drink enough water. And I'm pretty sure that it just evaporated monsoon. It just straight yeah, up evaporated no. it. So we get clouds and we get some thunder. So I get to have the panting border collie at the front door going, please let me in. I will die soon. Followed by wind, maybe blowing um like they like one destroyed the tarp on the top of uh, my dog house down at the, ch- uh, the sheep pen so i had to replace that but no actual fluid coming from the sky which other people refer to as i think rain none of that shit has happened and so it's been extraordinarily disappointing and i was able to almost cope with that on top of all of the other bullshit that this ridiculous year has brought and then the news <laughs> hit me First, as a rumor for my sister, which I decided was untrue. I decided it was fake news because she's mean, a fundamentally bad person. I don't know. She didn't seem like that before. But when she mentioned this, I was pretty certain that that's what happened. But no, the real news services have actually brought this up too. There's a nationwide shortage of Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Okay. We all need a moment of silence. This is unspeakable unspeakable so i could handle the whole there's no toilet paper there's no paper towels there's no and then all that shit i can handle i i live in the mountaintop we buy everything in bulk it doesn't matter <laughs> i prepare for apocalypse <laughs> at all times when it comes to those sorts of things because we would never remember what we have so we just buy it every time anyway it's like do we have toilet paper eh, probably not who cares buy more because what's going to happen you just have a whole garage full of it so we've always had tons dr pepper this is as close to the end times as i want to see 
those of you with costco memberships if you would like to support the podcast <laughs> best thing you can do is go stock your trunk with dr pepper and drop it off for leanne please because i don't want to see her uncaffeinated i don't want to deal with her uncaffeinated let's just oh be my honest God. No, it's hideous. It's truly well. We saw last week. Remember, we could, I couldn't even get through sentences. I'm like, what's that word? Oh, stimuli. <laughs> yeah. What is? What is? Only... Words again. What do I? What do I talk good, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I was only I was only half a Dr Pepper into the day. So, okay. So on more actually dog related news. Yes, um, we I I put out. So we talked last week. Um, I think both on and off air that I thought it'd be kind of fun to just kind of visit how we both problem solve dog training Um, because ouch, how people train dogs, like I was saying before, no two dog trainers agree on anything. And I was going to say, isn't that, isn't that the saying, like if there are five dog trainers in the room, the only thing that they agree on is that the only thing four of them can agree on is that the other one's wrong. Is that how that saying goes? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. All Yes. Absolutely. Well, I used to tell people the same thing about chews in the veterinary world is like yeah. when people would say, what can my dog chew on safely? I'm like, we used to work with five vets and five vets thought the other four vets were going to kill the dogs. And I'm yeah. like, okay, so that tells you that really fucking no one knows. Right. So I put on my Facebook page a, so anybody who wants to know my Facebook page is Empire Ridge Ranch. And I just said that we, Emily and I wanted to talk about some behavior problems. And so I want to thank the folks who responded. I'm actually going to say their first names. They know who they are. And then I'm going to tell you what they said. And we'll talk a little bit about what I said. What, I'll say what they talked about. And then I'll, we, uh, Emily, Emily and I have picked out a topic already from this pile of topics and we will go from there. Okay. So I want to thank Alicia uh, Lexi, I can't see. Apparently, I need to admit I need glasses at some point. Uh, Paula, Ariana, Zena, Dace, who's actually Raven is her name, uh, Meredith. I want to thank all of those guys for uh, offering up ideas. So, most of the ideas were barking at doorbells, and several were nipping and or dog reactivity. So we're not going to address nipping and or dog reactivity here because I just, I think that's a safety ethical issue is if your dog is biting, even if it's enjoying biting. (laughs) Um, Because the question was asked by another dog trainer um, and I'm sure it was tongue in cheek. But having said that, I, that's not something I would never feel comfortable discussing without seeing the dog. And then I recommend the dog go someplace else anyway. So, so the question that we are going to go with that the other ladies or the other, well, they all are ladies um, brought up was a lot of the problems that people were facing, which is alien to me on a mountaintop are dogs who bark when the doorbell goes off and then, yes. and, and don't stop. I mean, I'm guessing barking is okay in a short arf, 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 but once it's gone on for 20 minutes, it's a little problematic. So right. what Emily and I are both going to kind of do is, is we're going to pretend that, you know, Emily is faced with the question of, I have a dog that's barking at the doorbell and I'm going to ask her how she'd solve it. So including what questions she would ask me and things along those lines, and then we'll flip it around um, and we'll go from there and we'll kind of play it out by ear. And that way you guys can kind of give a little bit of a different viewpoint. And on top of that, you'll get two possibly divergent. Hopefully we're not the same. Who knows? Uh, We didn't test this ahead of time um, (laughs) solutions to this problem. So anyway, so Emily, my dog uh, fluff nugget, 
barks when the doorbell rings and she doesn't stop ever. Yes. How do I make her stop? So my first question for this is always, is it the barking that bothers you or the bum rushing the door and trying to get to what's on the other side? Because they usually go hand in hand. Yeah, it's both. I don't like it at all. Yeah, at all. all. Like the noise is really loud and it's really rude. Okay. Well, first of all, I suggest not having friends, which is what I have done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Problem solved. We're done. Let's move on. <laughs> or, or have the kind of friends that I have, which just walk in the house and go, shut up. Because they all know my dog. <laughs> Both of those are, are are valid solutions to those problems. However, however, I need people to deliver my Dr. Pepper, so I'm going to have to have friends at least right. in the short Dr. Pepper emergency short term. term. Right. So no, but in all seriousness, there's a couple of ways I approach this. Um, I did work with a friend of mine who has some Bostons, and she had a great the way her house was set up. She had a great delineation. Um, she had a carpeted living room and a tiled hallway and a tiled entryway and the hallway kind of split the two. Um, and she didn't mind, like, she didn't mind a little, you know, a little boofing or whatever. When, when the doorbell rang, her problem was she couldn't manage the dogs and opening the door at the same time. Like there was just too much going on. So what we worked on was keeping some treats by the door, body blocking the dogs back to that visual barrier of your butts have to be on the carpet in the living room and staying there. And then the cue we put with it also bought her some time. So the cue for them to back their butts up and put it on the carpet was her yelling just a minute. Oh, okay. so that's clever. Yeah. Yeah. So that well, it didn't sound like Cujo down Cujo. <laughs> right. Well, and so that the person on the other side knew that, you know, she was dealing with something and she would be there in just a minute and she didn't have to feel rushed and try to like punt dogs back away from the door. Um, and so we kind of slowly worked up to her being able to block the dogs back and she would sit there and feed treats while I would come through the door. Um, and then we worked up to, you know, once they had that idea of just a minute meant go park it here on the carpet while mom feeds us treats um, then she slowly backed away from that and would, you know, say just a minute, put them there, treat them, take a couple steps away, go back, treat them, take a couple steps away, go back, treat them until they got, okay, well, if we just hang out here, the treats will come to us slowly working up to her being able to come and open the door. Um, and she still uses it to this day. It still works. You know, there's, it's not perfect by any means because they're Boston's and she's human. So, you know, there's, there's some <laughs> difference there. The flip side to that, like I will tell people, if you really don't want to deal um, with your dogs at the door, say, you know, somebody's bringing something large through the front door or the person on the other side of the door is fragile and you, you know, don't want them knocked down or jumped on or scratched or whatever, um, whether it's a child or older person or whatever. Um, or sometimes dogs are frustrated greeters and they get bitey just because they're so wound up, right? So the simple solution that, hi Dice, the simple solution <laughs> that I, oh Cody, the simple solution I like for that is put your dogs away. Just, just put them away, put them in another room, put them in their crates, whatever. Um, so 
how I go about that is you enlist a helper, they ring the doorbell or knock on the door, whatever it is that sets them off. You go, oh my God, yay! And you grab these fantastic treats, really good treats, not your milk bones, but like freeze-dried minnows or something. And you run into whatever room you want them to go in and you feed, 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 close the door. And then open the door and let them out. And then repeat so that somebody knocking on the door is going to mean, oh, we're all going to run into this room and get some really amazing food. So that hopefully initially what will happen is somebody will knock on the door and they'll just book it for that room. Right. Right. Awesome. And then they're out of the way. The doorbell becomes the cue or the knock becomes the cue. They're out of your way. You don't have to worry about it. Um, which isn't just another, it's a, it's just a really easy solution. I, I like easy solutions cause I just don't think people have the bandwidth to put in a lot of nuanced training to, um, certain behaviors. Um, and then the other side to that, if the barking is really an issue is enlist a helper, uh, ring the doorbell, scatter kibble on the floor, ring the doorbell, scatter kibble on the floor. Ring the doorbell, scatter kibble on the floor, repeat yeah. ad nauseum. Because a dog yes. with food in its mouth is less likely to bark. Yes. yes. And so it just becomes this, like, instead of a trigger to bark, it becomes a trigger to look for food on the floor. Um, again, you know, there are more complicated, more step-by-step nuanced training patterns you can do. And I think they're amazing and wonderful. And I don't think most people have the time or the patience for them. So these are quick, dirty solutions. Yeah, no, and I think there's something to be said for quick, dirty solutions. Um, Yeah. Because um, I think it's important to have the ability to go on with your life while you're solving the problem. Yeah, yeah. So so if I was faced with the same problem, I would ask, my first question would be, after the after the door opens, does the dog, <clears throat> excuse me, continue barking while they're sitting at your feet or hiding behind you or threatened to bite? Or are they goober, idiot, happy dingleberries? Because that will somewhat inform how I, how I address some of it, because I want to make sure that the dog who's frightened is taken care of and the dog who people want to have greeting strangers and is appropriate to greet strangers is allowed to do so, but allowed to do so under circumstances that are not insane. Right. So once I've established, um, once I've established why the, so the, so the way I look at it is the door is a source of frustration for the dog. So either the door is that won't open fast enough for the happy dog who wants to greet the stranger. And so they're like, oh my God, yay, somebody, yay. So they're frustrated. And of course we all know frustration can lead to aggression. Um, you just touched on that. And so I'm always a little cautious with that, mm-hmm. but it yep. also can lead to that hyper crazed greeting that so many people hate. So we have that dog. And then we have the other dog whose frustration with the door is that sometimes monsters come in in the form of strangers. <laughs> And they can't yeah. control that. And so they're frustrated and they're trying to say, go away, scary monster, stay away, stay away. But my mom is an idiot and keeps opening the bloody door and letting monsters in. It reminds so, me of that. It reminds me of the kid's book, my favorite kid's book. It's Grover. There's a monster at the end of this book. 
And every time you turn a page, Grover freaks out because you get closer and closer to the end of the book. And then you get to the end of the book and it's Grover. That's the monster. See, I don't have kids. <laughs> but oh, Grover from like the Sesame Street Grover. Sesame. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. He sorry. was a monster. In... Yes. It, it, yeah. Sorry. It, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> So anyway, so my first step after I've established that, because then the rest of it, I'll tell you where it, where it diversifies because of that. But I do like to know why the dog is acting the way it does. It's, it's not always important to the owner, but it's always important to me. So the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, like you, you have to enlist a helper to ring the damn doorbell. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to let that doorbell, I'm not going to let the helper in. So I want the doorbell to be rung and then the owner is going to throw treats at the door, just like you talked about. I'm just going to chuck treats at the door. And every time the doorbell knocks, doorbell rings or the, or the they knock on the door, whichever, I want the eventually the dogs to stop spazzing at the door and start looking for the treats. Because that tells me that their emotional bandwidth has changed. And now they're thinking treats instead of thinking demon monster behind the door. Oh my God, my best friend, I need to jump on them and claw the shit out of their lips. So now that I've changed their emotional state, I'm going to do exactly what you did. And I'm always going to have the dogs run to another room. The reason is, is because either set of dogs, the owner probably can't handle when they're opening the door, either the fearful dog or the friendly dog. Both of them probably shouldn't be hanging out the front door. So in those cases, after I've got the mental state where they're like, Doorbell equals food on floor. I'm going to then have doorbell equals mom sprinting maniacally through the house to another room where a scatter of treats lands on the floor or the crate out of the room and they're now out of the picture. And again, I'm going to create exactly like you did. I'm going to create a cue so that essentially the doorbell or the knock becomes a cue for the dog to say treats in the other room. And then the very last piece will be for the fearful dog keep it in the bloody room. There's no reason a fearful dog should have to be facing strangers in their home. Correct. Or unless you're doing a very skilled desensitization with a trainer to make sure that no one is injured. And I say with a trainer, because you don't want people saying, Oh, I know how to do it. You just have the stranger just softly approach the dog. No, the dog should stay in the other room safe Uh and, and trusting that you're not going to invade its personal space. The friendly goober dog because it was thrown in the other room has hopefully had a chance to deescalate and now can be brought out later, either on a leash to act appropriately towards strangers or off leash. If it's, if it once the doorbell excitement is gone, then it's like, Oh, okay. I know this person and that can be cool. Right. Um, but I will let that dog come back out, but I want that dog to come out in a state of control. So either physically under control with a leash or it's a, just a stable dog that just comes out after the first burst of crazy is over and just kind of mellows out. Um, that way that dog can interact with the strangers. But I do want to first build the emotional reaction to the door. I want to kind of neutralize that. So it's not either amplified fear or amplified frustration for, because the door isn't opening fast enough and I want to change that. And then I want to create a cue where the dog runs to the other room. So actually, Emily and I have a very similar, (laughs) because there's really not a lot. I mean, there really aren't, unless you teach the dog place and just, and just force it to stay there um, through punishment and pressure. There's just that this is the most logical route to 
that solution. Um, the only other thing I would say is if you have multiple dogs doing this, you cannot train this with multiple dogs. You've got to find the instigator and train that dog first. Partially because depending on the dog pack you have, scatter feeding multiple dogs, while I do do it, um, has to be done with incredible skill. And if you've already got dogs in a heightened state of arousal and then you've put through food on the floor, the likelihood of you having a rather catastrophic fight at your front door <laughs> yeah. elevates. Yeah, so yeah, pull, yeah, absolutely. Pull one dog out, train one dog at a time on this. Then when both dogs are completely trained to be aware of the fact that both dogs coming together might see the picture as, oh, Fred's with me again. We can go back to acting like dipshits. So you yep. may have to start all over again at that point. So it might be if you have three, two dogs, you might have to train one dog, train the other dog, then then train them both together after you've done both dogs. So it might be a three-tiered solution, but the solution for each dog and for the pair is going to be almost identical. Yeah. Yeah. And also keep in mind that um, a knock is not the same as a doorbell. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> please expect, please expect to have to train for both because yeah, one will set off more than the other. Um, and, and then there's the, but I want my dog to bark when somebody's at the door because I live in a sketchy neighborhood and I kind of want that, but I then want them to shut up when I let somebody in the house. Mm -hmm. Which I, th so I think, for, yeah, I think for that, you just delay, you delay the treat throwing for two barks. Yeah. Or until the, per or only if somebody steps through the door. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super easy. I don't want to say it's super easy. It's not complicated <laughs> to train. It does, however, require somebody who is willing to come in and out of your house 47 times on several different occasions. So yeah. I highly recommend buying some pizza and, you know, <laughs> bribing. Making friends bribing. with your neighbors. Seriously, yeah. Don't, or the neighbor's kids. Yeah. Like, and generally, don't do it when it's 110 out. Yeah. So no time this year if you're in Tucson. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, generally children of the age like 12 to 14 ish or nine to 14 ish are perfectly happy to ridiculously ring the doorbell and walk into your house 47 times over again. So that's an option as well. Um, <laughs> and I mean, uh. you know, and you can even, if this is something you really want to work on and you have a significant other that gets home after you have them ring the doorbell before they come in. Like there are ways to practice yeah. it if you have to. I don't yes. recommend using a sound effect. Um, so like like a cell phone app or anything like that, because it does sound different. It echoes different in your house. It's a different tone. However, I will say one of the many reasons I abhor the Wish app is that if you don't turn off the notifications, its notification is a doorbell. And apparently that one, for some reason, randomly does get their attention, but only when somebody in the house is trying to sleep. <laughs> just just a heads up just well, so you know i've never heard of the wish apps so i don't know what that is sounds yeah. like a little too cheap stuff from china that takes like three months to get there and you forget you've ordered it 
and then it randomly oh, shows up. Like, yeah, it does sound like my sort of scene. So, yeah. Um, okay, so well, that we solved the world's problems very quickly. So, well, no, we did. We solved the doorbell problems very, very quickly. A so, single problem. A single problem. So, kind of, kind of similar approaches. Um, with with little tweaks. Again, it'd probably depend on, you know, what the person sitting in front of us had had to deal with and what their expectations yeah. were. Um, which is why I love people who are like, absolutely, they use not, you should never, ever, ever, ever train a dog that way ever full stop. I'm like, well, there's a million different people and a bajillion different dogs and they all have different needs. So maybe well, not. I mean, sometimes time is relevant. I mean, mm -hmm. I think in a perfect world. Yeah. I mean, I could sit around and try to noodle my way through to find the, the positive reward-based way to train a behavior that I normally would train with pressure. But A, why would somebody want to pay me to noodle through that? <laughs> well, and that's the and, thing too is it's, it's, this is a, a Lima approach because, you know, some people yeah. say body blocking is body blocking oh, is not yeah. a positive oh. way of doing it. No. However, it's a heck of a lot better than, you know, slapping an e-collar on the dog or throwing a can of pennies at the dog or any of the other crazy solutions I've heard. If, if, you know, body blocking achieves the same thing, I'm going to go with that's probably least invasive. Oh, um, absolutely. And I, and so. I like, actually, I like using, I mean, obviously because we do hurting, we do pressure release all the time mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm comfortable with that because that's how you train horses. I mean, 99.9% .9 of all horse training is pressure release. So I'm pretty, yeah comfortable at maybe not adept at it when it comes to it's also it's, it's also one of those training methods that most people um like it doesn't require specific timing like a lot of clicker training or or marker training type things do um so if somebody is not fully adept at timing when it comes to training body blocking works well um because it's just it's pretty intuitive Yes. As far as you I just can have see. to be careful because the one, the only thing I could see going wrong with that system would be if you, because you were working with dogs that you knew, and obviously we always work with dogs that we know. And, and when we throw out ideas like this, be aware of the fact that we have looked at the dogs. I mean, if, if Emily saw this behavior and it was two, you know, a German shepherd and a Doberman who are both somewhat mentally unstable and they would commonly get into fights because of the arousal state, she would not body block them. Because she likes right. her body parts. Um, right. Those dogs we placed on leashes um, and dealt with entirely differently. I mean, you were yeah. talking about Boston Terriers. So, so again, it, it does, that is the one thing about a quote unquote aversive. And I'm putting that in massive air quotes because body blocking is, is not, it is aversive in the fact that the, the way it works is, I always equate it to the Seinfeld and the close talker. I'm hoping I'm not dating myself, yeah. but anybody who's had somebody who keeps stepping into their space to talk to them. Mm -hmm. um, Especially in this and, day and age. And yeah, yeah. Now that the gap is much further um, and you keep stepping back, their proximity is aversive. You're not scared. Yeah. You're not hurt. You're not, you're not. Just upset. get out of my face. Just you're get just, out of my face. Stop breathing on me. Quiet, you quietly backing up. But the anytime you place an aversive into the into the scheme of things, the emotional state of the learner 
has changed from a positive, this, I enjoy the hell out of this mindset to a little more of a, a little more edgy thing. I mean, if, if a close talker walks you into a corner, I, I used to work with one and she would always trap me in corners and I'd have to make excuses to get out of them. Um, it was just so <laughs> awkward and weird. And it's just, I'd be forced in the corner and I'd be like, does she not see that I keep taking steps back? Um, and, but you can see that kind of getting to a point where you say, Hey, can you just step back? And that is me, the learner in that case, if I was using that method to train using aggression in my case of me getting snarky to respond to that. And so uh -huh. aggression is always on the table. If an aversion is if an aversive system, if aversive systems are in play, that doesn't mean we yep. never use them. That doesn't mean that they're bad, quote unquote. It doesn't, it simply means that that's something that a good trainer needs to look at the dog and make that kind of decision before implementing that kind of a, uh, a system. Because again, it's one thing when you know the dogs in play and you know their training history and you know they're not going to bite you and another when you don't. And so right. that's, that's the reason that I, I can see why. And again, using one, using, cause I use, I step into my dogs all the time. I mean, I scatter feed multiple dogs. And if one dog suddenly decides that the best way to get the food is to just simply defend all the kibble on the ground from all the other dogs, that dog is in trouble, quote unquote, and I will body block that dog away from the other dogs until it can right. start doing the math and realizing that no kibble is not better than all the kibble. I mean, all the kibble that you can't access is not worth the zero kibble that it's getting. But I know my dogs, I know the situation. And so all I'm saying is that using aversives is great and fantastic and can absolutely be used appropriately, but it has to be done with full awareness that there are always the possibility of repercussions. Right. Right. So, I mean, again, you know, huge proponent of average dog owners having access to and learning canine body language. I think that that goes hugely towards their ability to understand and train their dog, even on a very basic level. So um, I would say first and foremost, pick up on some of that so that you can tell if your dog is stupidly happy at the front door, stupidly worried at the front door, terrified at the front door, aggressively terrified at the front door. <laughs> like all of, yeah. all of those are, all of those are really important pieces of information you're going to want to know before you step between your dog and the front door. Um, yeah, meaningful. Yes. So definitely, definitely look up, study up on that um, as much as possible. And then some of the other things that we were talking about when we were talking about differences in how we train, um, it kind of morphed as it does with Leanne and I um, into what we train. So we've both in the past um, had puppy classes. We've both in the past had like basic manners is what I used to call it, or basic obedience classes. Um, and I think that the, the the content that we offered, that we each offered, um, probably evolved over time. I know mine did anyway. Yes, mine is still evolving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I kind of went into it with this, you know, fantastic <clears throat> utopian version of what clearly everybody wants to teach their dog, right? Because that's what I wanted oh. to teach my dogs. 
Oh yeah. You did the same thing I did. You're like, let's train dogs. <laughs> and, I, and so I'm like, okay, what do I consider basic manners? And 17 behaviors later, I was like, <laughs> how am I going to fit all of this in a six week class? Yeah. Um, so it kind of had to get narrowed Weird. down into a, if I have a class full of people who would like to yeet their dogs into the sun, what skills can I give them so that the dog can remain part of the family? Like, that's kind of the lens that I looked at things. Because that's a lot of what I was seeing. That's a lot of what I was seeing is, okay, so if you don't know anything about anything, right? You know, say for me, cars, got nothing on cars other than you put the key in and you turn it and it goes and you're supposed to put gas in it, right? Like those are kind of the basics. If you look at general dog population people, so just Joe Schmo dog owners um, who have that level of knowledge about dogs, right? Like you're supposed to take them to the vet for shots at some point and you should feed them. That's kind of what they've got going. Um, What happens when there's a problem, right? So when there's a problem with my car, I don't care what the problem is. I don't care if it's a flat tire or the air conditioning doesn't work. I'm going to take them to a general mechanic, right? And I'm going to say, make make it go better. Yeah. Like, make it go better. Make the the noise go away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, If turning up the radio doesn't work. Uh, So dog owners kind of do the same thing, right? So they see, you know, they're having they're having issues with their dog attacking another dog in the house. And they're like, well, he needs obedience classes. So they sign up for a basic obedience class when probably that's not at all what they need, but what else do they have? Like that's their, that's their, yeah, yeah, that's their knowledge base. Right. And they're attempting Mm -hmm. to do what's right for this dog. So what I was finding in my, say my basic manners class is that I was getting a lot of people with behavior issues in their dogs and they didn't know what else to do. Um, and so am I going to say, well, this is not where you need to be. I need you to drop, you know, $1,500 on a vet behaviorist, which we didn't have anywhere near us. Or am I going to say, all right, here's some basic coping mechanisms. Please don't expect your dog to be, you know, world-class obedience champion at the end of six weeks. Here's how you're going to help live with your dog better um and just kind of give them basic skills that can translate and help them understand how and where they can translate which is what i ended up doing in my basic manners class and then you also have to kind of tailor it to the area that you're in so when i was doing classes in rural new york i started off with my basic classes of course we're going to focus on loose leash walking right because everybody oh, yeah, you have to. wants to loose loose leash walk their dog well everybody except all those people in rural upstate new york whose dogs have 4 to 6 acres oh. to run on and are only on a leash when they go to the vet and the owners don't care if they pull they're like literally the only time this dog is on a leash is when it goes to the vet i don't care like, oh okay all right And I stopped teaching it. I would ask at the beginning of a class, like, does anybody have any like real need for loose leash walking? And for the most part, people didn't. It wasn't a thing. Interesting. Yeah. So I stopped, I stopped beating it, beating my head. That's nice because that was a pain in the ass to train anyway. 
That's its own class, honestly. It I mean, really uh, is. Honestly, the, of the things that we teach in class, um, I think loosely, because I look, like you, I also look at why do dogs end up in animal control? No yeah. dog is going to end up in animal control because it doesn't sit when it's asked to sit or down when it's asked to down or doesn't stay when it's told to stay. Those those behaviors make people feel good. I refer to them as tricks because yep. um, people go into a dog obedience class expecting those behaviors. So, yes, yes, I train them. And, you know, we do the basics, sit down, stay, come when called, loose leash walking. Um, and then my, I might add a random thing depending on what mood I'm in. But most of it, honestly, is is other things jumping on people and but loose leash walking i always explain to people is fundamentally the most difficult thing that your dog is going to learn regardless yeah. of what it does in its lifetime because yeah. not only is it something that the dog finds pretty aversive is being shackled six feet away from a human being who goes like one tenth of a millionth of a mile per hour and yeah. goes ridiculously short distances and has stupid rules about sniffing. But it's we teach it right at the beginning, right when the dog is starting to understand how training yeah. happens. Yeah. Right, we've taught the dog sit, because I usually do, I introduce loose leash walking on the second class, because I want the dog to have some concept of learning. So at least a week of theoretically having been taught to sit down stand, which is the first week of class. And but then we're going to work on loose leash walking by and large, kind of on again, off again throughout the rest of the class, because that's where the biggest struggles happen. And, and because it's so bloody hard and it's so reinforcing for the owner and the dog to just let the dog yank them down the street. Yeah. Cause training yeah. is freaking hard. And, and so this is one of those. People... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, this is one of those areas where I'm like, if you need to use a tool to walk your dog, use a tool to walk your dog. I would and so much rather, I, I'd so much yeah. rather your dog get out of the house and, and it, I, yes, this, in, oh God, I'm about to get hate mail. Yes, this, <gasps> is includes, this includes prong collars. If you need a prong collar to get your dog out of the house and take it for a walk and for you both to feel safe and sane, use it because it is so much more detrimental for your dog have to spend its life in the backyard because you don't feel yeah. safe walking it than it is for it to wear a prong collar and go for a walk. Do I think yeah, that you so should take the time to put in the training yeah. to not have to use the prong collar? Absolutely. However, if you're not, if you can't, if you don't have the time, if you don't have the skills, if you don't have the want, but you will take your dog for a walk on a prong collar, take your dog for a walk on a prong collar, take your dog for a walk on a front leg front clip harness take your dog for a walk on a head halter just get your dog out of the house so i will have people so my rule in class is so i don't my it's kind of interesting because i don't really have so for my basic obedience class it's kind of like wear what you have but whatever you do don't bring a flexi lead and yeah. um make sure your collar fits and i really am not a huge fan of harnesses um, but having said that, you know, if they show up in a harness, that's totally cool with me. If they show up in a prong, it's totally cool with me. If they show up with a choke chain, it's totally cool with me. What I do say to them is, look, my goal is to get you out of these things. That's, that's mm -hmm. my goal. My yeah. goal is yeah. to train past the tool. However, having said that, if you know how to use this tool, if you were taught by somebody who's skilled at using these tools, cause that's actually not me, um, then, and you, and you know how to use it and you feel comfortable using it and the dog responds to it. And if for the remainder of the dog's life, 
if you take it someplace that's incredibly exciting, like the the state fairgrounds, where there's all sorts of you know animals, and you need to go back to the prong for that, then by all means, by all means, go back. Now, again, my goal is that the dog does not spend the rest of his life wearing a prong collar. That is, that is not ideal. Having said that, if if a 80 pound, 70 year old woman goes out and gets herself a 120 pound rescue pit bull who pulls like a freight train, I am not going to risk that woman's health or safety or the dog's ability to go out and enjoy being a dog for a somewhat ridiculous adherence to a positive only mindset that in that case doesn't work in the real world. Yeah. And, I and- give her all the tools to succeed without those, without that. But honestly, I'd rather her, I'd rather the dog wear a prong and her never need to use it, but have it, than, than have it, than, than be afraid to use it because society cares what the hell her dog wears. Be comfortable. Don't get yourself killed. Now, having said that, I really balk, and this is going to get me the hate mail, uh, at I understand it's a communication tool. I just don't see the, I just see it as a very harsh communication tool. And I really balk when I see it on, when I see prongs on chihuahuas and miniature poodles and Yeah, no, I get it. Because honestly, if your dog is under, if your dog is under 10, 15 pounds and you can't walk it, there's a bigger issue there. Like at that point, come on now, there's, there's a bigger issue there, but I mean, I'm, I think we're kind of in the, in the same boat there. Like I would rather see the dog out. Now, this is not anything I intended on discussing and we can save it and trickle down this rabbit hole another time, but, (laughs) but it goes to, if your dog, if you don't take your dog out for walks because you're afraid of meeting another dog, muzzle train your dog. Find a comfortable, well-fitting basket muzzle and take your dog out muzzled. And then practice flipping off everybody who is going to give you dirty looks about you walking a muzzled dog. Or if you, you know, are feeling adult about it, you can educate them about why it's more important (laughs) that your dog get out. However, I have been known to stop complete strangers on the street when I see them walking a muzzled dog and thank them for having their dog out in public with a muzzle on because a lot of these dogs are perfectly fine. Like they can go for a walk with their owner and be fine. The problem would be if Joe Schmo idiot has his, Oh, he's friendly dog. out, And that dog comes up to him and the owner doesn't want to deal with that liability. So they put a muzzle on their dog to protect the other dogs, Um, which is, flipping brilliant and i wish more people felt comfortable doing that um yeah so well yeah so i I used to so any oh go ahead no i was gonna say i just any anything any tool that is not going to be overly harmful that helps your dog get out and see the world and have a more enriched life is important to me as far as i'm concerned yes and so what i used when i had dogs who were human reactive or dog reactive or any of the reactives, you know, any of the dogs who, you know, they just weren't happy around strange dogs slash people. I would always recommend 
that we, the very first thing we would do when we started working on the dog was train them to a muzzle. And even if the dog was never a bite risk, you know, even the dog was just leery of people and frightened, but was never going to bite. One of those kind of dogs is just going to melt in, into a puddle of catatonia and just freak out. I call it the stupid people avoidance system because what it does is putting a muzzle on your dog keeps the idiots at bay. And that builds you that distance yeah. that helps these dogs who are just fearful. Maybe the dog is not even going to be reactive. Maybe the dog is just like, oh my God, please just don't let that person near me. And the dog will just silently shake in its boots and just shiver like a chihuahua. Put a muzzle on that dog because then it keeps the morons away. away. And yeah. it builds and you know, a honestly- bubble around your dog. Honestly, it's just not a bad skill set for any dog to have. It really isn't. At some point, no. most dogs almost, probably need one. Yeah, almost guaranteed. At some point, your dog is going to need one at the vet. Um, yeah. Why make them terrified of it? As I, you know, I do. I say the same thing about crate training a dog too. I yes, don't care if you have a dog. That, yeah. Right. I don't care if you have a dog who has never put anything it's not supposed to in its mouth and has been housebroken from day one without fail. Crate train it. Because at some yep. point, you're going to have to take it to the vet and leave it, even if it's not overnight, even if it's for a few hours, and they're going to put it in a crate. And it takes that stressful situation and makes it 10,000 times worse for them. So yeah, crate none of that, yeah. So, so at least it takes one new terrifying aspect out of the equation. At least they're That's like, great. oh, I'm in a cage. I know how this I know works. what this is. Yeah. yeah, I know what this I, is. I know how this goes. I know how this functions. And at least I know that I can just settle down and relax in here because this picture looks familiar. Right. Um, I used to not crate train my dogs just because I never needed them. And um, now I do. I mean, maybe maybe some like crate, I think Ketchum's maybe even in a crate a grand total of an hour in her 13 years of life. But she's at least been in them. And she's yeah. at least familiar with it enough to, to understand it. And um, I think that's, now, Billy, I, I can't say has been in a crate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's uh, a little bit different. Well, she doesn't fit. She doesn't yeah. fit in the crates. But and I'm not going to buy a, a horse size crate for her. Um, but you know, she's it's been just a life that. skill. It's a life skill. Yeah. That's not necessarily something that you're going to learn in to to circle it back around. That's not something you're necessarily going to learn in a class that you go to. So. Like for me. Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should be teaching crates. Maybe we should doing be doing Susan Garrett's crate games, or maybe we should be doing that. And I was thinking about that recently. So, because my, because this will be interesting. Because my, what happened was the world ended, and I shut my business down for ninety days. And then when I reopened, my build, my building is not huge. It's only my main training area is a thousand square feet. It's thirty by thirty. And so, if I do the math on that, I can fit safely inside air conditioning. Uh, probably two people in addition to myself, you know, two, you know, two handler dog clumps. I mean, what, how many people they are in a clump doesn't matter, but you know, two dogs and however many handlers for those dogs to keep social distancing and safety and blah, blah, blah. So because of that, I'm suddenly dealing with classes that used to have six and seven dogs having one and two dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So what's happening is I'm blasting through. So I shortened the class times to 45 minutes from an hour and I'm blasting through these classes. I'm like finding myself at week five going, okay, we're going to teach a trick and yeah. touch. Yeah, no. and- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have that one-on-one time and people can pick up the behaviors a lot 
a lot easier. So it's nice for that, yeah. at least. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're getting privates. So now is the time, if you want classes, by the way, uh, you're pretty much getting a private. Um, so so I'm tr- part of me is thinking, well, what should I, what relevant things should I add to these classes? Because I'm not going to add more the stuff that I like, like you talked about, you were like, let's go to class. And that's what I was like, okay, we're going to do pivot buckets, not in beginner, but once yeah. I got into intermediate advanced, I'm like, we're going to do pivot work. We're going to do choose to heal. We're going to train fancy fronts and beautiful return to heels. And people are like, I don't, that is, I don't, why would I do that? Why, don't I, I care. Don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, but it's really cool. And they're like, no, it's not. So, <laughs> so I have been looking at some of the behaviors that people commonly train in what we'd call a basic life skills or puppy class. And I'm trying to figure out what, um, what I do train, what I don't train and what's, what's relevant yeah. and what's irrelevant and what I might add and what, how I would, you know, cause of course then the question is, well, okay, if you're going to train a dog to go into a crate, well, now you need to bring a bunch of crates to class. That's, that's a pain in the ass. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta deal with that as well. So, so let's kind of go over, let's talk about so, the things that a lot of, tra- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so like for me, for puppy class, let's let yes. me give the rundown let's now. Do what we train. Yeah. Do that. Puppy class. What do you need when you bring home a tiny little carpet shark? You need. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's the best. Oh my God. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's entirely true too. You need, you need leave it. You need a solid leave it. Right. Don't. Do okay. whatever it is you're about to do. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't pounce on it. Don't bite it. Just leave it alone. So I teach a solid leave it. Okay. I teach um, a recall. I, oh, I focus yeah. really heavy on a recall. And that's yeah. where I'll do uh, sit down and stay. And that's pretty much it. Because the other half of class for puppies, for me, is playtime. So that they get that social interaction. And so that, mm-hmm. and I, I spend a lot of that time explaining body language to owners. Okay, and they're fascinated by it. They're fascinated by it. Because then they can watch it as time goes on. So those yeah, are my- especially when you have a scared puppy in the class. And you're explaining yes. their body language as they get more confident. Yes. Yes. And they start to, they start to see it in other dogs and point it out. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think that is an incredibly valuable life skill, both for the dog, but also for the owner. So leave right. it, sit down, stay and come. Those are my, those are my big ones for pu- puppy class. So you're like, okay, we'll sit down, stay and come. Then what the hell do you teach in basic manners? So basic manners, I will teach a target, usually okay. hand target. Touch, like touch like touch. Yep. Usually a hand target. And then I explain how you can change that to other things. Um, I use that because it's great for focusing a dog that can't focus. I, I said, you know, usually what I tell people is if you reinforce this behavior enough, it's a great thermometer for how stressed or distracted your dog is because you always have it with you, right? You always have your hands with you. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if you're in a new situation with your dog and you can't tell like where they're at, if they're just excited or if they're stressed and you ask for uh, a touch, a hand target, and they can't do it, you know that they're like gone. Time to time. Kind of a start. So you're kind of introducing it. It's kind of a start button behavior. Sort of. Yeah. But it's, it's more, um, it's more just a life thermometer is kind of how I, I 
so that when people are in a situation and they can't, they're like, why isn't my dog paying attention to me? I don't know. Can it touch? Right. No. Yeah. Well, then it's too no, far no, gone. It's like it's too stressful. Yeah, stressful. Right. Yeah. Um, so basic manners, I will also refocus on a recall because I think that that is a lifesaver. And I will refocus on a stay because if your dog can stay and it can come when it's called, it can avoid a lot of behaviors that people don't like. Right. So if your dog mm-hmm. can stay, it's not going to be jumping on people at the door. If your dog can stay, it's not going to be dashing out in front of traffic. If your dog can stay, it's not going to be mugging you in the kitchen. Like there's a lot of problems that those two behaviors solve. Um, and honestly, they're pretty much the two things most dog owners care about. Um, yeah. So we'll do target. We'll do stay. We'll do recall. I will. T- I will teach a watch me. Um, mostly okay. because I think it. Mostly because I think it helps the owner. Helps the owner focus. Helps the owner. Oh, okay. Um, pay attention to their dog. Yeah. If the owner, if the owner thinks that it has to be looking at the dog and the dog has to be looking at it, then they're looking at each other at least. <laughs> <As opposed to laughs> being six feet out at the end of the leash, and the and the owner being like, um, yeah, which is very very common. And it's you know it's it's one of those things. I just I think it's bond building. Um, and then you know depending on my mood, we'll do perch work. We will do. Um, just like some positional changes, left, right, that sort of thing. Um, I do perch work. Explain that. What is perch work? Oh, perch work for me is dog's front feet is up on an elevated surface, a non-slip elevated surface, usually a bowl, but it can be anything. A touch bucket. Okay. Yep. Um, And then we just practice moving around it. So it teaches high end end awareness. It teaches, you know, yeah being in a in a certain position it's it's silly it's fun it's easy it's something visual for the owner um the beginning of a beautiful heel it is the beginning of a beautiful heel but i don't even i don't even like i might mention it but we don't even go there we just don't even go there it's i'm telling Um, all my students no no you should be doing rally (laughs) right so yeah i'll do that and then i will do um all of those things with distraction. So right, that's when you start building will, the distractions. Right. So as the as the class goes on, you know, I'll start rattling chairs, sliding things around, putting you know talking toys out while they do their things, or bring one of my dogs out and have a new dog there. Um, you know, we'll we'll work on all sorts of of different distractions so that the owners can see. Oh crap! You know this isn't a one and done. Like, yeah, he totally got look at me on the first day, but you moved a chair and now he can't focus. Like, you know, so that they can see that this is something you need to practice long-term. Those are pretty much, pretty much my go-to for basic manners. We can, like depending on what the the class wants we might touch on some skills that you can use to help with loosely schwalking like the look at me like the target you can target a hand in a heel position and reward um mm-hmm. you know the perch work that sort of thing so we'll discuss how those are steps that can build into a more successful loosely schwalking um but it's not generally something i spend a whole bunch of time on um in a basic class anyway. 
So those are my go-tos okay. for puppy and for puppy and basic. So, okay, cool. So we are different. So that's going to be fun. Cause it's going to be, cause so I don't teach, I don't teach leave it at all. Um, my philosophy is that the dog's default when you're on a leash should be attention to me and should default to leave it. So as a rule of thumb, I don't teach it. Now I'm kind of rethinking that. So maybe it might be something I decide to add and we'll see. So I don't teach leave it. I don't teach touch. Um, cause I've yet to really, I, I do. Well, that's not true. I will teach touch if I'm dealing with, so I work, so I do teach alternate behaviors for jumping up. Um, we do spend a lot of time on jumping up dogs and I'm not a fan of the sit for petting because I feel the dog is perfectly coiled due to the eyeball punch. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. unless it's generally, unless it's a very quiet dog, in which case jumping is probably not a problem. <laughs> sit is probably not going to answer your question. So depending on the dog's behavior, I will teach alternate behaviors that I think are more conducive to that dog's success. So if I have, a stupid happy greeter usually it's for the owner more than the more than usually those are the dogs who are going to greet their owners like buffoons mm-hmm. um by jumping up and down and scratching the shit out of them so those dogs i will teach a touch because then i'll teach the dog to do an elevated jumping touch away from the owner so they can take all their springy and put it away from the owner until they cool, cool their jets and they can remember how to behave and then when they're done springing around with their excitement then they can actually pet it without being blazing maniacs because I think putting that dog in a sit is just it's like loading the gun it's just never been muzzle punched between the eyes by a (laughs) by a pit bull enthusiastic (laughs) pit bull let me tell you it'll make you start searching for your car keys because oh yeah no Cody is the queen of the eyeball punchers man she is like she's like I'm gonna sit I'm gonna sit you could just see her vibrating and then the next thing you know is her she has a super long pointy schnozzle and she'll just stab you in the eye with it and yeah she's she's that was the dog who taught me this is probably not the solution that I want because she's not even a crazy greeter she's just you know that's so I'm like she's just well timed yeah, I know. So I'm like, what do you do with the, the dog who spends the first 10 minutes of every greeting ricocheting off the walls? I'm like, well, give it a yeah. touch and let it ricochet off the walls in the air. Uh, Billy the kid, I taught a middle to because then she gets her attention, which she wants without jumping on me. The last thing I want to encourage with Billy, who has no spatial awareness of where her body is because she's 100 pounds of just gangling silly, is her jumping in the air more. So I don't encourage her to jump more in the air. In her right. case with the jumping up, um, which I I did teach her to jump up. I was a terrible owner and she was really cute when she was, you know, a 10 pound puppy and then not as cute when she was a hundred pound adult. So I did that. It was my fault. And yeah, we've all had, uh, we've all had (laughs) moments like that. We have all had moments like that. Mistakes were made. And so with her, I taught her middle (laughs) and Mistakes were made. Regrets were had. (laughs) Because a sit for her liquefies into a down. Yes. So if you ask for a sit, by the time you go to reach for her to reward the sit, which of course is the whole point of the behavior is to get attention, she's now on the ground liquefied and I need to bend over and that's a pain in the ass. I don't want to bend over. Yeah. So I do teach her her middle. Um, so watch me. I think watch me is an interesting thing. So because I would like to talk about that a little bit. 
So the very first thing that we that I teach in my beginner class, the very first day, I teach four behaviors. Um, we teach sit down because most dogs come with sit and down. So, and if they don't, it takes 30 seconds to explain it to the people whose dogs don't have it. And that way I'm not wasting a boatload of class time training behaviors that two thirds of the class arrived with. So I teach sit down, stand. And the reason I do stand is I stole this from Ian Dunbar and it's actually a really good idea yep. is it's the only way to generalize or the randomize sitting down. So I tell people, it doesn't matter if your dog never has a pretty stand. I'm not going to teach a kickback stand unless they want it. It could be ugly. You could lure it for the rest of the dog's life. I do not care. It's just about being able to randomize sit and down so that we can make them fast and decrease latency. That's all I care about. I want, if I say sit, I don't want my dog to amble into a sit. I want their ass on the floor and a puff of dust coming up. That's what I want. Right. So the only way to get that is to be able to very quickly randomize the game once they understand the behaviors. So I can say sit down, stand and treat and maybe treat on yep. the third thing or treat on the second yep. thing. So, so the very first thing we do is sit down, stand. And the other thing we do on the first day of class is what I refer to as the orientation game. I cannot tell you who I stole this from. I'm sure I stole it and I might've stolen it from multiple parties. So I, I don't know who it is, but it's very simple. You throw a treat away. The dog has to be off leash. So we do set up X pens for this in class. Um, and you throw the treat away from you, the dog, gets the treat, they look up at you, you say, you mark, yes. And then you throw the treat past you in the opposite direction. The dog yep. gets the treat, looks up at you, blah, blah, blah. And that way I create what I refer to as a default orientation behavior that will Which later you... turn into a default um, check-in if you're doing off-leash hiking. So that Which dog- Which is funny then... because that's part of the way that I reinforce the the watch me, the look at me. Because okay. once you have a, once you have a dog that stares at you all the time, how do you get them to stop staring at you? Well, you have to toss the food away from you. Away, right. To, and then to they turn around and come back and stare at you some more. So yeah, yes. so it's, it's, it's funny because see, there are multiple ways to get the same behavior right. or the, to achieve multiple things with one behavior. Right. And so, and I, my big thing is we don't ever attach a word to it. And the reason we don't attach a word to it is I think that the two most overutilized words that people use when trying to communicate with their dogs, and these are usually dogs who'd spend a lot of their time checking out uh -huh. is fluffy, 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 uh -huh. watch me, watch me, fluffy, fluffy, watch me, fluffy, watch me. Dice is like, what the hell is she doing? Fluffy, watch yep. me. Yep. And it's, you are Charlie Brown's parent to that dog. Wah, 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 wah. That's all you're doing and yeah. shut the hell up. So my yeah. default is silence means you better be looking at me. If I have a leash and treats, or if we are clearly doing some sort of training, you need to be orienting on me period. And, um, and tell to, told to do otherwise. So I don't want to negotiate for attention from my dog. So I don't teach a watch me just because I've seen it misused. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't put a command on it either. I don't oh, like, okay, I don't, okay, so, I don't put okay. a command for that. It's just a, like you said, it's a default behavior. I want your dog staring at you. Yeah. Okay. So There's no command. Yeah. 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 Cause I don't want them using a word. I want it to be fault. Um, and, um, and then loose leash walking. Yeah. We just spend a lot of time on loose leash walking and I train it through multiple 
ways, and we do a lot of actual negative negative reinforcement. Th- I think negative reinforcement is a powerful thing for loose leash walking, especially um, if you've seen a lot of the rewards based systems for loose leash walking. They're great in the house, but honestly, for a lot of dogs, you cannot your reward system outside is movement. Yeah. And so by stopping movement when they pull, and I will use, oh, I know I'm going to get hate mail for this. I will use a new, no reward marker if they pull. Oh God. I was, I, I was raised, I was raised with no reward markers. Oh, okay. They're engraved <laughs> in my soul. And I'm pretty sure Sue, the herding instructor would like to beat me with the stock. <laughs> When you're going, oops, or whatever your no reward marker is. So, so, well, I go so German. I, I go German with mine, so it's hot. <laughs> so, so I teach my owners, uh, oops, because I want it to be fluffy and friendly. I don't want them using the, God forbid, don't use the word no, because then that's the third most overused word in people's vocabulary when it comes to dogs. No, no. fluffy, watch me. No, fluffy, watch me. No, fluffy, watch me. Oh, sit, good sit, God. sit, shut, shut sit. Up. Yeah. Sit. Okay. So later, just got up and left the room. <laughs> no dice crawled underneath me. He's, he's clinging to me. He's like, he's like, is she asking for something from me? Cody's like content. She's got her five toys. I got like, I got like two sits in, and she like got up from a sound asleep and gave me side eye and slinked out of the room. Like, okay, <laughs> she's like, time to go. She's a rogue. We're going to ignore her. But I do use a no reward marker and I do use negative reinforcement. And this is interesting. So because I think we all progress as trainers. And so I've only been training professionally for five years. Okay, And for dogs, I always have to say this because I have been training animals professionally for far longer. But dogs have been training professionally for five years. And I go back and forth because part of it is, is how I handle my own dogs. And then I have to look at, but my own dogs are different because they were trained by me, um, which means there's a trainer working with them all the time, which is not a fair comparison, which is why I say I don't tear and leave it is I don't, I don't need to leave it. A, I don't live in the city. And so therefore if they find anything in the desert, they can have it. It's safe. I mean, there's nothing that they're going to grab in the desert. That's probably not safe. And if it's not safe, like, Cody one time reached for a centipede. We were taking a, we were on, so it rained. Oh my God. It was a monsoon season where rain happened. It was crazy. And what I love to do after the rains, I'm trying to remember how this works. So rain happens and clouds happen and it gets cool. And so after the rains, it's cool and beautiful out. And I would take the ATVs and ride up and down the road in the ATVs with the dogs because it's a great time to run the dogs. And I get my highest chance of seeing snakes because I'm a kind of a snake geek and I love seeing snakes. So we're riding along. I've got all the dogs chasing the ATV and I see a centipede on the ground. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with centipedes in Arizona, centipedes max out at nine inches, but they look like they max out at about two feet because they yes. are bar none, the ugliest, most malevolent looking insect on the planet. They are bright orange red with freakishly yellow legs. And they are, and they, you can't tell which end has the stinger or the biter and they will sting you and they hurt like a mofo and they look as evil as they are. There's no question about its emotional state when you see a centipede. They are like, I will fuck you up, mind your own business. So there's one that's at its maximum nine inches, which looks a good 18 to 20 inches long. 
tootling across the road. And Cody, one of my border colleagues, goes up to it to like, what are you? You are interesting. I shall shove my nose into it. Now, this is not an animal that's going to kill my dog. But at the same time, it's not something I'd prefer her to experience on her own. I'm a, I don't think that's a necessary experience for her. So I scream, Cody, leave it. So she'd never heard the word leave it before in her life. But I had several things in my favor. First, the coloring on a centipede is um, designed to tell all animals to leave it the hell alone. Yeah. <laughs> and my tone of voice <laughs> was very clear. And so Cody was like, you know what? I think I'm going to leave this alone. And so I've just never used leave it because it's just not enough out here that's worth it. But when I'm in town, I have noticed, like we did an out, we did an outdoor training class. We did a reactive Rover class or whatever you want to call it at the local park. And one of the days we were walking through it and somebody had thrown all the bones from a KFC onto the ground. Yeah. Well, those are very unsafe. Um, and so I did have to use leave it then for dogs in my case that had never been taught leave it. So that's why I'm thinking I might have to change. I might have to change You can always come to my neighborhood and walk the dogs around, (laughs) in which case (laughs) the needles alone will make you say leave it. How terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so that's the thing is there's more urban, you know, I always tell people, you know, if my dog picks up a rat, I know it wasn't poisoned, but in town, if they pick up a pigeon or a rat, they could die. Yeah. Well, and you it's, know, the other place I've, I've used it a lot too, um, is with hurting because if she gets stressed or distracted or yeah, honestly, it's mostly stressed, she'll go to, to sheep poop eating, which is it going to kill her? Oh, no. Right. Yeah. 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 But it's gross. And I don't want to look at it stuck in her teeth for the whole ride home while she pants it's over my shoulder. Green and charming. Aww. Yeah. Like so all those dogs, those, those, those are sheep grapes. Yeah. So I do, I, I use a leave it there too, but I, it's just a life skill. You know, if it falls under life skills, it's, will you possibly have to use a lot? Maybe not. Depends on your lifestyle, but it's one of those things like could save a life recalls, you know, could save a life. Recalls are huge. And I make a big deal out of recalls and, um, and like I said, loose leash walking and recalls, because I think those are the two biggies for, I do mention stay and we do train stay, but I don't, for one thing in the beginner class, I don't think you have the time to put a stay in, enough of a stay on a dog to be worthwhile. Um, Cause you, it takes months to really get a decent stay out of a dog. Um, but having said that. Um, yeah, it's, I turn your to, phone off, Leanne. <laughs> I know it's my neighbor, which is kind of disturbing. I don't know why she's calling me. Um, it's never good when my neighbors call me. No, but, anyway. <laughs> but a stay is a great stay is a great behavior to work on while the instructor walks around the class and yes. you know helps students with things, or while you're working, yeah, explaining the next orientation or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's just. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. a, a, a nice filler and a good behavior to have. So, and I think it's, and I think it's so handy right. to have, cause I explain to people. Yeah. I explain to people that, so, cause the other thing I will talk about is I really want to generalize my sits, my sits and my downs. I want my dog to be able to sit and down anywhere. I ask them, I do not want them to have to run up to me. And the reason I explain that to mm-hmm. them is a recall is fantastic until your dog crosses a road, chasing a squirrel. And now it's on the other side of the road. Yeah. That's when your yep. recall is shit. Yep. 
Um, and that's when you want that down in your stay or your sit and stay or whichever. And you want the dog to not, if you scream down, you don't want the dog to run back across the road to down at your feet. You want the dog to down where they're at or sit where they're at. And so we do yeah. start talking about how to train that. And the example I always give is, is I have a deck, a little tiny deck at my front of my, my front of my house and my deck, my house overlooks a cliff. And so my deck overlooks the cliff. And so the only way around my deck is to go to get from one side of my deck to the other, if you can't cross the actual deck, is to go all the way around my house. And so the dogs jump onto, there's three steps to get onto the deck and the dogs leap those three steps. And so I was coming around the corner one day and all my dogs are with me and Cody leaps, you know, seven or eight feet onto the deck into the middle of a sunning rattlesnake. Oh. Rattlesnake and Cody both go, ah, and Cody now is on the opposite side of the deck from me with a rattlesnake in between us. She has no means to get back to me, excluding going all the way around the house, which is not something that's going to occur to a dog. And I need to deal with a rattlesnake. And I prefer to deal with rattlesnakes without dogs. <laughs> so, yeah. so thankfully... Yeah. So, and Cody's rattlesnake aversion training was not optimal because she got a little over aroused by the other dogs there and spent most of the time trying to murder them. So I wasn't trusting her rattlesnake aversion training. She was smart enough to know that she probably didn't want to step back over the snake, but she was clearly worried about the situation and didn't feel right about it. So I asked her to down. I asked her to stay. I was able to walk around the corner, get a rake um, and scoop the snake up and send him down the cliff where he belonged. So he would not come back onto the deck. But I was able to do that because Cody had a down and a stay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what and I mean. So Those I are, talk about that. There are some things that are, there's some behaviors that seem so simple. And I think that this, you know, this is something that we have to make sure that we explain to owners. They seem so simple and boring. And yet making sure your dog can do them no matter what, no matter where, no matter, you know, who is there can really make the difference between catastrophe and a safe day um you know just depending on on what's going on um so i mean Let's here's the thing about that. i have oh, go ahead as i say i have stopped a dog fight before with a dog with a solid down so you get an asshole dog who comes charging up on you thinking that he's gonna show you you know that he's all that in the bag of chips and you get your dog to lay down a lot of times they're like oh well, you suck. And they'll stand yeah. there and posture at you and circle and, and be dumb, but it, it diffuses the entire situation. Does it always work? Right. No, please no. don't get your dog attacked. But I'm just saying there are times, <laughs> there are times when that, that kind of behavior. Can, yes. Well, can, it, it, it de-escalates for certain. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I know when I'm yeah. working with a reactive dog, I have my, I have my neutral dog uh, turn away from the reactive dog and lie down. I mean, that is yeah. the most neutral position for a dog for a, for an escalating go. So yeah. we, we have probably like 15 minutes, then we have to go. But in that 15 minutes, what I'd like to visit briefly, because we did talk about it. And I think this is something that I think every dog trainer uh, struggles with and every dog owner struggles with who takes classes. And that is what we'd call either proofing or generalizing. So yes. we train the behavior. So we either have a five week, six week, seven week, eight week class, right? Every trainer has X number of weeks and they're training these behaviors. 
And unless the owners start the behavior on week one and work on them every single week through those eight weeks, which you can't do if you wouldn't, otherwise you wouldn't have eight weeks. If you're only training the behaviors the first week and then doing nothing but practicing them for the next seven, that's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. That's the only way they'd be able to, to generalize enough and be able to fade the lures enough to have that behavior be useful in the real world. And I know that I find as a trainer, my biggest struggle. So I do five week classes. You do six week classes. The week here, or there doesn't really matter. It is, you have to pretty much let them walk out the door, having explained generalization to them, but not really worked on it. A, because it's very hard to work on generalization without getting in your car and driving all around town and explaining it. And it's, it's a more comp. I mean, I can set up tarps and I'll set up tarps on the floor or, you know, have the dog sit on a tarp and then stand on a tarp and down tarp. So the dog's like, oh, I can do it on a tarp and I can do it on those slidey down the hill with snow things. I don't know what they're called, discs or some sort of weird Slides or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a couple of those. Um, have them do them in that. Have them do them in a hula hoop. Have them. But that is a far cry from Cody downing on a deck where she's never been asked to do competence in her entire life on my deck in the presence of a rattlesnake. So when your aid, you introduce it right at the beginning that they, gen- they need to generalize and then you add a little bit of it to each class, or do you kind of, as they're walking out the door, kind of the last day, say, oh, by the way, you need to generalize, or do you just bring it up every class? Or, and, and how do you kind of run through that? Because I think that is something that not just, not just students need to hear, but I think trainers, I think we all... I'm going to speak for myself, and I'm going to certainly say that I know that I struggle explaining how to properly generalize to owners. Is you just you cannot take the behaviors the dog learned in the kitchen and expect those behaviors to translate to the Fourth Avenue street fair. Yeah, there needs to be middle. There needs to be middle ground, and the middle ground has to be planned and it has to be executed with care. And you have to look for cues of the dog like you were saying you use i believe you said touch or watch me as a kind of almost a start button behavior can your dog do this thing can your dog do this basic behavior if not you need to back the hell up and try again so how right. how do you as it when you were doing classes how did you interact introduce that into the class setting so one of the things that i would send home with them on that first day is a list of places and situations to practice the behaviors. So practice them in the kitchen, practice them in the living room, practice them in the bathroom, practice them in the bedroom, practice them in the backyard, practice them in the front yard, practice them at night, practice them during the day, practice them in the morning, practice them with somebody else in the backyard, practice them during dinner, practice them uh, out on the sidewalk, practice like literally it was like 43 different scenarios for you to practice this behavior in. Um, Just for that... Did you let that just speak for it or did you also bring it up in class? I mean, I, oh, I absolutely, yeah. I'd absolutely, you know, mention it in class and why it was important. But I also think that, you know, that list was a nice visual reminder of how many different places and ways um, things can change. And so we would talk about two, uh, the three Ds, you know, the distance, right. duration, and distraction. And, mm-hmm. you know, talk about things like, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for your dog to do this behavior when you're cooking a steak in the kitchen than when you're, you know, maybe making quiche in the oven, like scents, uh, sights, sounds, 
the day's activities, like there's so many things that go into whether your dog is going to be able to perform this behavior or not. Um, and then things like, okay, your dog has done this behavior great for the last six weeks. And now all of a sudden he won't do it like at all. Is there something wrong with your dog? Is your dog yeah. injured? Are they sore? Do they, you know, like just so all the things that they might have to consider about getting a solid behavior on their dog, um, you know, we would discuss it in class, but then I think having that list of here's, here's like one eighth of the places that you can practice these behaviors. This is how much I'm saying you need to practice it for it to become, you know, a non-thought behavior, just a like, you know, cue and reaction type thing. Well, in context, you know, so I'll have folks, you know, can you sit on the floor and ask for a sit? Can you sit on the couch and ask for a sit? Oh, can you gosh, be standing yeah. on the ladder and ask for a sit? Can you be laying on the floor and ask for a sit? Can you run through the house and scream out sit? Yeah, that was my favorite you know, thing to do is to take the first day of class, take a pull a dog, any dog out of the out of the group and say, does your dog know sit? And they'd say, yeah. And then I'd take the dog to the middle of the room. I take the dog to the middle of the room and I'd look at it and I'd go spaghetti and the dog would sit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, your dog, your dog doesn't know sit. Your dog knows what you look like when you ask for this behavior. Yes. So here's why it's important to practice (laughs) because if you turn around and ask your dog to sit, it probably won't sit. The dog's behind you. Right. The dog's behind you. If it's across the room, you Mm -hmm. know, if, if somebody else is holding the dog and you say sit, they'll be like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. And I think yep. that, and the problem with that is, is at, in a dog training class, we can, the trainer can walk the person through everything. I can walk, I can walk the dog through the down whose butt keeps popping up when I do, cause I, I train a down through luring. I use the nose to toes method and, you know, so I have a treat at the nose and I lure it down between the toes and their butt, if it pops up, I always say their butt doesn't weigh anything. Um, and, you know, I can walk them through how incrementally, you know, you can get this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I can walk them through that whole thing, but I cannot walk them through. You need to train everywhere under every circumstance, because otherwise this behavior is not going to be there when you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so a lot of times I'll, I'll set goals like, okay, you need to do this behavior in five unique situations this week. and and build on that every, every week for six weeks. Right. So yeah. uh, granted people aren't going to do that. We all know that in a group setting, but still, <laughs> you know, it's all right. From week one, we practice down. I need you to practice down in five places, five different places. And you practiced it last week. I need yeah. you to practice down in five different places or in five different situations. than you did for the previous two weeks and every, every week, just build on that of no I'm not kidding like this is how much you need to practice this behavior for it to be there when you need it most yes or count out you know or I want you to have done I need I need a reward history on this so you need to have done a hundred reps of down between now and the next class which Um, is also when we discuss using dinner as a training opportunity or you know or because you know you don't have to sit you don't have to unless you're doing herding or agility or something else that takes or or bite work where you know you need to get the guy in the bite suit to come out and you know you need to set everything up and herding it no no no. it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be yeah 
Oh God. I also tell people, bless you later. I also tell people to practice during. Oh, goodness. <laughs> There's big sneezes. Um, you remember when they used to have these things called commercial breaks in shows, they last two minutes. And I used to tell people, take your dog's dinner or, you know, food, whatever it is you're going to feed them. And sit down to watch your favorite show. And when the commercials come on, get up and train until the commercials are done. And then put the food away and go back to watching your show. And then when the next commercial comes on, train for two minutes until your show comes back on. And then go back to watching your show. Um, and you could probably get, you know, that's the other thing is I, I you know, it's hard. Cause, because I like speed. Because I'm all about, you know, the first thing we do is sit down, stand. And by next week, I want to be able to go sit down, stand, stand, down, down, stand, up, stand. I mean, I want to be able to go through them and yep. I want my dogs and I want them to already be fading the lure on the, cause generally they're still luring it down and, and they're generally going to lure a stand for like evermore. Um, yeah. So, but I want them Don't to at least start me. fading. <laughs> well, I do it too. I'm terrible. Um, so I want them to at least have been fading this, the lure on the down. I want the sit on a total verbal. I want the down on a partial verbal, partial hand signal. And the stand, of course, is generally going to be lured forever. But I, I want them to be able to, have gen at that point, that's when you can start randomizing the reward system so that now you're building more desire to work and, and faster speed and you're, you're lowering your latency and everything's going quicker and faster. And, and now you can build it almost to its game and now the dog is getting into it, depending on the breed. I mean, some breeds are like, please, God, why are we doing this? But some of these more high drive breeds um, are going to be like, oh, this is freaking cool. I can do this. Tell me another command quick. And and they get into it. And But you can get 30, 100 commands in in a commercial break. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you're watching Netflix, you can still see the natural commercial breaks. You can just hit yep. pause. Yep. You'll see them. <laughs> yep. And you can set, a, set an egg timer. Seriously, set an egg timer. Two minutes, five minutes, whatever. Blast through some behaviors. Your dog will thank you for it. And then also that, that on and off, the, oh, we're training, now we're not. Oh, we're training, now we're not. That's great for them. It teaches them to, you know, focus and then relax and focus and then relax. So it has, there's, there's a ton of ways you can do it without it being a huge time suck. Yes. Yes. Though so. I always warn people, if you have a high drive breed, border collie, healer, Australian shepherd, if you're crazy and you lost your mind and you got a Malinois, um, for those breeds, I don't like randomizing training without a very clear window that I've decorated and painted for them um, that states that training is about to happen. Otherwise um, some of these breeds will bother you all day long for training. So um, yeah, I well, will, I will say R E A D Y. I can't say it out loud yeah. because I have two yep. dogs sitting here, um, which means we're about to do something. That means get up, let's go. We're going to be playing or we're going to go down to the hurt, the sheep. Or we're going to take an ATV ride or we're going to train. And then when we're all done, I will say that'll do. Um, which means all done. And, and I do that to make sure that when they're not working, 
they know they can, like both dogs are crashed out right now. I know that they know that they can crash out and they don't have to constantly be on the lookout for training. So with the higher dry breeds, the German shepherds, the dogs who are like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Those breeds, I'm always wary about random without serious thought to creating very, very clear pictures. So you can still do it. There's something wrong with doing it, but I'm going to, I'm yeah. always going to no, tell no, people, no. you better make that picture clear because otherwise your shepherd start, is going to come I over to you and stop. keep putting the paw on your arm. Yeah. <clears throat> you need to start in a stop for play, as I, as for anything, the last, any of those things. I've spent the last 15 minutes trying to keep Aussie paws off of the keyboard as she's like slapping me with her paw because yeah, I touched like, her. Doing? I touched her. Oh, that, no, was my, that was my bad. Here's my bad. These two are actually crashed out, which is kind of nice. So I'm hoping it'll cloud up. We actually have something looking like it's happening to the south. I'm living in a land of delusion. And yes. it'll cool off enough I can do some herding. So Yeah, you're, well, you're funny. I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think that we have beat this one to death. I think um, this was good. I, well, I think we got a very good start on it. I mean, I think there's plenty more to, for where that came from. And I think what'll be fun is if we kind of, we can kind of introduce this to other trainers that we think um, would train different enough from us to oh, yeah. to bring up yeah, yeah, these yeah. kinds of things. Um, because I think that that'll be helpful for people to understand because this is the thing. Emily's method will work on 90 to 95% of dogs. My method will work on 90 to 95% of dogs, but there's always going to be that 10 to five to 10% mm-hmm. of dogs who are going to be like, F you, this won't work for whatever reason or yep. whose household it won't work in for whatever reason. Yep. And yep. Those dogs, if the trainer is stuck in their modality, you know, if, if you come to me and I'm like, this is how you train and I'm in a box and I cannot leave my yep. box or I will expire and die, um, then, which is not how I train, <laughs> but, it, but every trainer is going to eventually run out of tools. I mean, or if you don't have, if you don't have a resource that you can say, well, shit, I'm out of ideas. Let me call blah, blah, blah. And see what they see, what they think. Yeah. then it's on the owner to go to the next trainer down the road and find out what does work because not every system is going to work for every dog and not every system is going to work for every trainer. And as a trainer, it behooves us, the trainers, that's Emily and myself and anybody else we bring on here. It it is our imperative to ensure that we have all the tools in the toolbox. We may not use them. We may not Mm -hmm. even like them. Um, right. We have them at our disposal and we know we have them and we are at least familiar enough with them to know that they are in line and they are number 10 uh, of our, you know, 22 options that Absolutely. we are for this behavior. Um, especially when you're dealing with behaviors, the, the doorway uh, thing is a fairly basic behavior, but there are some, there are some dogs that like to make it more complicated. Well, and there's some behaviors that are incredibly complicated, you know, one of which is dog reactivity, which is why you see so many dog reactive dogs who have been in training forever and seem to still act like complete jackasses when they see other dogs. So that's a complicated case that every dog is different and every trainer handles it differently. And there's a reason for that. And again, whenever you see a situation where everybody does it differently, that's generally going to tell you that there really is no solution, <laughs> that everything and nothing works. I always tell people that's why plantar fasciitis, the, the foot pain thing, the yeah. about the foot, that's why there's 700 cures. It's because yeah. the only cure really is tincture of time. Yeah. So, it's, so when people have gone through the 15 things, when they get to the 15th, that's the one that works because 
it's been six months. Yeah. I feel that that is, I feel that that has been most of the ailments in my life. <laughs> oh, look, I cured it. Or, you know, my body got bored of with that particular ailment and has moved on to a new one. <laughs> um, 65 solutions to a problem. Generally what that tells you is they all work. And at the same time, kind of none of them work. You know, they, they all right. have a, a, a chance, but none of them, none of them are, are foolproof because if you ask somebody how to train a sit 99.9% .9 of people are going to say they lower the sit and they're going to show you how to lower a sit and it's going to be the same damn way the other two-thirds are going to push the dog's butt on the floor because they still use really old and pretty shit methods another third is going to lift the choke chain up but if you ask a group of people who use treats how you can train a sit 98% of them are going to do a lower and the other two percent are going to be like I am committed to free shaping until death right. do us part. Um, right. But, but yeah, th there's a reason there are five ways to train a sit and 65 ways to train a reactive dog. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. If there was a tried and true method, we'd all be using it. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Okay, okay. Well, I think that it's time for, I have a, my neighbor was calling to see why I was calling her. And of course I was calling her to announce the end of the world. Ah, the and shortage was, of Dr. Pepper. Yeah, and if she was in town to pick me up some. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I'm going out later this evening, so if I have to, I will I will stock up on, on some for you as well. Uh, and so, wash yeah. your car just so it rains. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll see what I can do yeah. for you there. All right, everybody. So, well, thank you for hanging in with us this week. Yeah. And come fun. back next week to see what uh, lunacy and craziness we have in store for you, as as we always do. And yeah. once again, thank you for listening. And uh, this is your dog's best life. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs>